church. Good to see you here this morning. I hope you're having a blessed morning. Uh, it's good to see so many of you out there. I've been able to shake some of your hands, not clearly all of them, um, but I want to welcome you officially to worship this morning. It's good to see you. If you're a member of our church, welcome back to our family gathering every week when we gather together and we worship the Lord Jesus Christ together and we sing good music and we pray and we give and we hear what God's word has to say to us as well as we get to interact with each other. And you know, in this world, we have lots of difficulties and, and challenges in life, but there is nothing like getting together with brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowshipping with each other, lifting each other up, speaking truth into each other's life. And so I hope this morning that you are welcomed well, whether you're a member of our church or a guest, uh, and you are greeted well because you're in good hands. You're in, in good company together this morning. So it's good to see you this morning. Listen, if you're new with us today, I want to encourage you to take just that little guest card out right in front of you on the seat back in front of you and fill that out during the service today. You can drop it off in one of the boxes by the doorways as you leave, or you can just come up and walk up and give it to me after the service as well. But I would love to get to know you a little bit, follow up with you as a, as a church, and see how we can minister to you and pray for you in any, any particular way. Um, but, you know, during the service today, we're going to be singing, we're going to be hearing what God's Word says, but at the end of the service, we'll have a chance to give financially to the Lord. We'll also have a chance to give our hearts to the Lord. So as we pray at the end of the service, as we respond to Him, if God is speaking to your heart about salvation, about baptism, about joining our church, about any matter, that's what we're going to have an opportunity to respond to what God's Word says at the end of the service, okay? So what I want to do now is just have a word of prayer quickly, and then we're going to stand and sing and continue to worship, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for the time that we have as a congregation to come together here at Central. Lord, we thank you for the life that we have here together with each other this morning. This is not just a destination, Lord, we know that. This is not just a community event. This is a place in which we experience and know and understand that we experience the power of your Holy Spirit moving in us and through us. So we thank you for your word. We thank you that your presence is here. We invite and encourage you, Lord, your Holy Spirit, to speak into our hearts. Bless everything we do on our campus this morning, God. We love you. You're welcome here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and let's sing.
your victory. Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me. You did it for love. It's your victory. Jesus, you are enough. Sing that out if you believe it this morning. You did it for me. You did it for love. It's your victory. Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me. You did it for love. It's your victory. Jesus, you are enough. Because of your cross, my dead is darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven
midst all was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all would come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, in the Spirit lit the flame, now this gospel truth of all shall not kneel, shall not faint. this morning we want to pray and we are on day 14 of our prayer guide and as we are praying together as we learn from Acts chapter 1 we pray as 120 people came together they were praying to the same God they were praying the same things and it says there that they prayed in one accord that means they were praying the same things and they were crying out to God for the same things and we understand that God moved when his people prayed then and I can assure you this this morning central God moves when his people pray collectively not one not two not five but collectively. And so I want to really encourage you to keep it up. This is day 14 of our prayer guide and fasting, and I hope that God has been moving in your heart, in your home, and your family, has encouraged you. I can assure you that it has encouraged my heart to hear your stories of what God's been doing in your lives from time to time over the past uh, several days. Today is day 14, and so I want to read for us uh, a passage of Scripture, and then I want us to do something that we do from time to time, not all the time, but I want us to pray into some groups tonight. Uh, this morning. And we're going to pray these things together in groups. And so be thinking about that when you look at people around you and think about the people around you. But it says on day 14, the passage of scripture we have here before us is Romans 12, verses 3, 4, and 5. It says, For by the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. That's a game changer. When you give your life to Jesus Christ and you commit yourself to a local church, I mean, this is what Paul says to us, what the Bible says to us, that individually we are members of one another. We do not belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to Christ. We belong to each other. We want to pray that into our lives because we have to work for that. We have to be thinking rightly about that. And we have to make tangible and intentional, intentional steps 
to facilitate that in our individual lives. We're praying today, and I hope you do, because I've prayed already individually for myself and for us earlier this morning. But I would encourage you to get alone with the Lord sometime today and also pray these things. But also we're going to pray collectively in our service. It says this in the prayer guide. Pray that we would see ourselves as belonging to one another. Hey, when we get into our groups, will you pray for belonging? That we would be a church that is a church of belonging, not just a destination that we show up and come to a service. Ask God to show you that what your role and function is in the body of Christ. Every one of us has a function and a goal or a role. Pray that we would be a healthy body, every member humbly doing their part. And here's the thing. Here's something else to pray for. Ask God to help each of us at Central to guard our hearts against pride and self-serving. Those are the things that consistently push back and drive a wedge when it comes to belonging and becoming one another. We want to pray for all of our ministries that we would have an abundance of volunteers. Every person in our congregation has a place. It's what the New Testament teaches us. God has brought each of us together. He's consistently bringing more people into our fellowship. So let's pray for each other. I want you to go ahead and break into groups and feel free to just one person maybe in that group as a couple, maybe two or three people, four people around you. And then one person in that group just lead off and just start praying. And I'll close this in a minute.
Father, left to ourselves, we would drift and we would attempt to do the local church the way we feel like we should do the local church. But Lord, when we come to your word, we thank you for your revelation, for who it is that we are and who it is that you've called us to be and what it is you've called us to do and how we are to view each other and how we are to view ourselves. Thank you for words like um, member. Thank you for words like body. Thank you, Lord, for the words like belonging. Um, we recognize, Lord, these are words that are, un, are foreign to us because by nature, we are independent people. By nature, Lord, we want what we want. We, uh, heavily weight our preferences and the things that we want over the, the desires that you want for us. And by nature, we don't often think about the needs of others as more important than ourselves, maybe equally important at times, but certainly not more important than ourselves. That is what you modeled for us in Philippians 2, Jesus, as you teach us that that mind of Christ, but also, Lord, as we come time and time again in the New Testament, we read of how we are to view ourselves. So, Lord, would you, in us, Lord, create a sense of belonging as a congregation, that we would not be a group or a body of individual people that just gather on a Sunday morning, but, God, we would be a family, that we would understand the depth of what, Lord, you say to us when you call us the body of Christ. For, Lord, we are dead but we have a new life because of you, Jesus. And we are one body, one people, as a result of what you've done on the cross and from the grave. Lord, we have to work at it. And so, Lord, when you look into our hearts and lives, would you, Lord, see us not as a prideful people or an individual prideful person. Lord, that we would not seek um, our own, but, Lord, that we would not be self-seeking, but, Lord, that we would be selfless in the way that we think, in the way that we live. Lord, always being open to God, what you're saying, and open to the needs and the, the desires of others, Lord, that we would meet those needs and minister to the people that we need to minister to. Father, we pray that you would help us as an individual, as individuals, to discover what it is you've called us to do and be in the life of the local church. For Lord, we all have value in this room. And Lord, your word says that when we give our lives to you, Jesus, you give us spiritual giftedness for the blessing of the body of Christ. And so, God, we just pray that you would help each of us find our place of service in the life of this church. Help us to find exactly, God, what it is you're calling us to do and how it is you're calling us to do it. And I pray that, Father, you would, over the course of time, begin to work and move among us. For, Lord, many serve but we have so many opportunities for people to serve in the life of our church in the days ahead. And so God, we pray that you would Lord do that in us, that we would be a church, an army of people who volunteer, an army of people who serve Christ you first and then each other next. And Lord, that we would have that kind of heart and that kind of attitude. So Lord, would you do this work in us, continue to do your work in us as a church over the next several days as we fast again this week, as we continue to pray daily, that you would continue to move among us, Lord, and that you would move ahead of us. For Lord, you are at work ahead of us, and so help us to meet you where you are and to consistently walk in obedience, in that lane of obedience, Lord, towards you. Thank you again for, Lord, your word, and thank you for the time to pray, and we give this time to you now as we turn to your word. 
and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Take away the distractions. And Lord, give us faith and courage to follow the things that you want us to follow. Help us to consider what it is you're telling us and leading us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to mention that very quickly, we have one big event coming up uh, here in just uh, a very short while for our widows and our widowers. And we're going to have a great banquet for you, our deacons and their wives and others are, are planning and preparing for that. It's coming up here in uh, just a few days on, on February the 20th at 1130 over in the Family Center. You should be giving invitations from our, con- from our church office as well as conversations in the hallways or some of our deacons are reaching out to you as well. So it's going to be a fun time. We want to love on you and we want to love on each other. So we want to really encourage you to be a part of that because that's, uh, that's very important in the life of our church. And I'm a very strong advocate for uh, ministering, especially to our widows uh, in, uh, in this new season of life that God's called you into and, and leading you into. So I want to mention that this morning before we get into, into God's word. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look only at three very quick and simple verses this morning, but they're very important for us to unpack and understand. If you stop and think about it, there are warning signs all around you. You know, I'm, I'm inundated, and we are all inundated. I didn't grow up with drug commercials, right? Did, did you remember 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago? They didn't have drug commercials. Now every other commercial is a drug commercial. And you have this, I remember watching this one particular drug commercial, this lady, and she's, she's having this incredible time and she's smiling and she's laughing and she's doing all of these things and she's talking about how great this drug is and how it's impacted positively it, her life. And then all of a sudden in, in, in this subtle shift, she starts to talk about the side effects and she's doing it with a smile on her face. And she's talking about how may, may cause your hand to fall off, may cause death, but what an incredible thing that, that the drug will do to your body. You have these warning signs, right, that they're always mandated that they have to have at the end of these commercials. I came up on a stop sign one time, a stop sign. It said, do not stop, but continue to move forward. I'm like, what, what does that mean? You know, don't stop, continue to move. And I was like, what is that? There's a stop sign above it, but then another sign below it. There are warning signs everywhere. There are all of these things around us at all times. And why are they there? They are there to protect us. They are there to make us aware of the dangers that are all around us all the time in our lives. Now, at any time, at any moment, we have a choice to make. We can either choose to listen to the warning sign or we can choose to deviate and try to do it our own way, right? That's always the choice that we have before us. And what the Apostle Paul here is doing beginning in in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, when he says, finally, there in verse 1, what he's doing here is he's laying out and warning the church in Philippi, God warning us of a growing threat that was taking place, specifically a growing threat within the church in Philippi that impacted and, and, and affected their relationship with God. Now, it's a reminder, as Paul is saying here also, these first few verses, he's reminding the church in Philippi of who they are in Christ. He's reminding them of their identity that are found that they have in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to read them, and then we're going to unpack them this morning and look at what God says to us. So look at what it says in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. 
Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And that's where we're going to stop today. Paul needed to remind the church, God has to remind us on a consistent basis that we need to pay attention to this warning. Let's talk false teaching, false, false doctrine. False teaching is harmful to your life. And so what God says to us this morning is that we ought to watch out for those who promote self over Christ alone. Look out for those who promote self over Christ alone. Now, what is false teaching? Because that's what Paul's kind of alluding to here. He's addressing it in his letter to the church in Philippi. Well, first, first of all, false teaching is not something that you disagree with with someone. Just because someone says something or says something and has a particular belief or a view, or a particular interpretation about something that you disagree with doesn't mean they're automatically a false teacher. I've seen this happen time and time again all throughout my ministry and all throughout the ministry of my father. I've seen it happen time and time again. Every time someone disagrees with you or disagrees with someone theologically over one particular issue. Now, there are certain things that are important that are non-negotiable, but there are things that when they disagree with you are immediately labeled and branded false teacher. That's not what false teaching is, and it certainly is not what the Bible lays out when it comes to false teaching. Simply put, what false teaching simply is, is something, any particular teaching that distorts the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in some way. That's what false teaching is. That distorts the gospel, that distorts sound doctrine in some way, that can be called false teaching. Now let's unpack this. Verse 1, Paul says and begins with this idea of rejoicing. He commands them, he says, rejoice in the Lord. So he's speaking of joy. He's going to come back to this topic. We're going to see it here in a few weeks. And down in chapter 4, verse 4, he's going to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a theme that we see throughout the book of Philippians. This idea of deep, long-lasting joy that is found only in Jesus Christ. We don't find it here on earth. We cannot find it in vacations or trips that you go on. We cannot find it in money. We cannot find it in power, prestige, positions, anything in your life. Deep, long-lasting joy is found in Jesus Christ alone. This is the theme and one of the themes that is, that is marbled throughout the book of Philippians that Paul is trying to convey, trying to get across to this particular church. It never disappoints us. God never disappoints us. God never deceives us. He never desires for us to sin or somehow tricks us into sinning. Now it's important for us to understand this warning as Paul goes into talking about this very warning here in verse 1 when he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is, is no trouble to me and is safe for you. What he's about to lay out for them is truth. And he wants them to latch on to the truth because there have been those that have been impacting their life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was not the only voice in the life of the Philippian church. There were others. There were people that were speaking into the church, that were influencing the church. I am not the only voice in your life from a spiritual standpoint. I am not the only one that some of you hear sermons or listen to when it comes to music or books that you read and you listen to and you hear different individuals talking about the Bible and interpreting the Bible in different ways. I'm not the only voice in your life. But there are influences, and what Paul is saying is there are influences, there are voices in, in our lives 
that claim at times and can claim at times a different truth or a different way of following Jesus Christ. And that's where we ought to be careful. That's where we ought to think well about the things that we have coming into our eyes, coming into our ears. Whether it's the friend who's speaking into my life or the book that I'm reading or the cultural uh, norm of, of, of a belief in the particular culture that I'm living in in this particular season from one season to the next, one generation to the next. I ought to be thinking well about the things that I'm looking at, things that I'm reading. And everything that I see and everything that I'm reading and everything that I'm listening to ought to be filtered through the truth of the word of God. That's how we think and that's how we live well as Christians in the life of the local church. If we're not careful, our minds can be drawn away. If we're not careful, our hearts can be drawn into something, into a different belief system that can change or shape how we view God, how we view Christ, how we view salvation. And Satan is very subtle in how he deceives us. He takes one little small thing and he plants it into our life and he builds out of it and leads us down the path of being completely separated from God, going in a completely different direction of where God wants us to be. So Paul says, pay attention to the false teachers, pay attention to the false people, the, 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 the ones who are teaching the things that are contrary to what the gospel says. You see, there's two big problems with this. We're gonna unpack this here. There's two big problems with this, okay? First of all, false teachers are dangerous, and then false teaching is also deceiving. It's harmful to your life. It's not just, I heard that. It is that I heard that, and I internalized it, and it has now deeply harmed my life, and sometimes I don't even see it. Sometimes I don't even understand it. So let's see what Paul is saying here. He says, first of all, that false teachers are dangerous. Look at verse 2. This is what he's saying to the church in Philippi. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He doesn't mince words, does he? Watch out for the dogs. He doesn't miss words, mince words about what he's trying to convey and what he's trying to get across. He's trying to paint a mental picture for the church in Philippi to pay attention. Three times in that verse, he says, look out. Do you see that? Meaning beware, watch, pay attention, look up, you know, think about what you're listening to, think about what you're hearing and so forth. Now, the problem here is that Paul was buying very clear and very descriptive. And the problem here in the church in Philippi had to do with a group called Judaizers. It's not here, but he's describing a belief system by a group that was impacting the everyday believer in the life of the church in Philippi. They were called the Judaizers. These were people who claimed to follow Jesus Christ and yet still hung on to the Mosaic law. Still hung on not to the moral aspects of the law in which we embrace and which every New Testament Christian should embrace. They were embracing still the sacrificial system to a certain degree. They were still embracing all of the, the, the rules and regulations of the Mosaic law that were imposed upon the Israelite or imposed upon the Jew in the Old Testament that had been brought into the New Testament. And that is where they were. They were imposing this upon the people of Philippi, the Christians that were new believers. Some had come out of a pagan lifestyle. Some had come out of, uh, of, of being Jews in that sense and embracing, uh, and, and they followed Yahweh and they come together and now they're the people that God has made new and fresh and different and distinct. And they had all embraced the true gospel. We know what the true gospel is. We preach it here. We teach it here. We talk about it openly. And, you know, salvation comes by faith alone, by God's grace alone. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. There's nothing I can do to add to 
what God has already done. Oh, but not to the Judaizers. See, the Judaizers looked down upon the Gentiles. They looked down upon the non-Jews, culturally speaking. So the people that were the Greeks and coming out of that lifestyle, they had not been ethnic Israelites, ethnic Jews. Oh, here's what the Judaizers said. You've come to faith in Christ, fantastic. Now go get circumcised. The Mosaic law required the Jews to be circumcised. And they expected and they thought that, they, that, that any Christian Gentile, which they began to look down upon, had to follow this Mosaic law. See, the thing was, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to have faith alone, God's grace alone. No, they added to the work of Jesus Christ. It was self plus Christ. It was self plus the work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and from the grave. And that was a false gospel. And Paul's calling it out. He says, listen, look out for, and he says, look out for, and then he says a third time, look out for, in verse 2, the dogs, the evildoers who mutilate the flesh. Why does he use this word dogs? Well, when you read that, you didn't know that there was a beware of dog sign in the Bible, did you? When you read that, I don't want you to think about little fluffy dog sits up in your lap who's cute and cuddly and you can't wait to get home to after lunch. And you come in the door and there's the tail's wagging and there he is and he's all up on you and he's licking you all over. I'm not talking about that kind of dog. You see, in this first century culture, dogs were known as scavengers. They weren't pets. They were scavengers. They were dirty animals. They were filthy. They lived on the streets. Oh, listen to what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, look out for the dogs, their character. These were people that were scavengers. These were people that were, um, who, who did not follow uh, uh, the, the, the Lord in their lives fully and completely. He says, look out for the dogs. He says, look out for the evildoers, right? They prided themselves on the law, but their efforts were evil. He says, they are evildoers, they claim to follow Jesus. They claim to follow the words of Christ and the work of Christ. And yet at the same time, in their self-righteousness, they are telling you, you have to do this and you have to do this. They prided themselves on the law. They were so filled up with condemnation towards others that they were imposing all of this legal thing, these legal things upon new believers and new Christians had not come out of an, a Judaism or a Jewish lifestyle, had come out of a pagan lifestyle, and they were imposing these things upon the Christians. Paul says their efforts are what? Evil in verse 2. Not only does he say they're evil, but he says, look out for those who are mutilating the flesh. You get the picture. You see, what, what uh, circumcision simply was, was a symbol that the Jews needed to have a clean heart. Why did God mandate that every Jew be circumcised? It was to remind the Jews that they needed a clean heart, something they could not do even through the process of circumcision, even through the process of following all of the law. They were still separated from God, weren't they? They could not come enter into the holy of holies. They couldn't be in the presence of a holy God. The priest had to go in, the sacrificial system, animals, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of animals sacrificed, blood shed, all because of the sin of the people. That's all that was. It was to point all of them, it was to point all of us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb, sacrificed for us on the cross. And his work from the 
from the cross to the grave was all that was necessary. But Paul says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You see, in their thought process, they're holier than thou. In their thought process, they're thinking in, ter- in terms of, uh, of, of, of imposing this upon a pagan new baby Christian. But all they were doing was committing self-mutilation in every way. So Paul says, beware. Beware of those who change the real gospel to a self-help gospel, to a Jesus plus, to a God plus, truthfully. You and I are surrounded by this all the time. Oh, it's not circumcision, but we're surrounded by a lot of false teaching in our culture. You're surrounded by all kinds of preachers and teachers and individuals and self-help books that talk about God plus something else you have to do to somehow clean your life up or somehow get your life right. Which is why whenever you talk to your neighbor, whenever you talk to the people that are closest to you or even perfect strangers and you simply ask them a very simple diagnostic question, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? Nine times out of ten, you will get self-help. You will get, well, I just want to try to clean my life up. I just hope I'm the best I can be, and maybe when I get on up there to the pearly gates, God looks at me and he says, boy, come on in. You've done the best you can. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an American, that's a, that's a humanistic way of thinking about salvation. No. You see, we are saved by faith alone, by God's grace alone. Left to ourselves, we make a mess of our lives, and there isn't no comparison to the man down the street or to the, to the guy who's locked up in prison or to the guy who's locked up in jail or to the person who sits on the street. There's no comparison there in terms of whether I'm right before God or that person's right before God. It only comes down to the fact of have I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And anything apart from that is a lie out of the pit of hell. Oh, we have all of these things in our life, right? They're subtle. Hey, hey, maybe you've heard this before, this phrase. God helps those who what? Helps themselves. There's only one problem with that. Look at what Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know what that insinuates? You got to die to yourself. You want to follow Jesus? Great. Go die to yourself. You want to follow Jesus with the rest of your life? Great. Go, pick up your cross, deny yourself, die to yourself, and follow me. My agenda no longer matters in the world. Now I have to follow Jesus Christ alone. Here's another one. The world tells us just, go follow your heart. Oh, it sounds great, doesn't it? If you just follow your heart, maybe somebody uh, counsels you, comes up to you and says, Oh, you deserve better than that. You need to just follow whatever your heart is telling you. Here's the problem. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 tells us this. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately what? Sick. Who can understand it? Only God can. Our hearts are wicked. They're deceitful. They tell us what we want to hear. They're really good at telling us what we want to hear. We're really good at telling us what we want to hear. If we're not careful, we go down the road of thinking these things and beginning to embrace these things with our life. Oh, maybe you've heard the phrase, God wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be happy. So no matter what decision that you make, 
we really good at doing spiritual calisthenics in the word of God, and we jump over certain things and jumping over certain principles and jumping over certain verses that we think, eh, that, that's not at all what God can mean by that. I, God wants me to be happy. No. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be righteous. He wants you to not listen to your heart. He wants you to listen to him. He doesn't want you to listen to, 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 to people and, and, and cultural statements that really sound good and sound good on a, on a billboard or sound good in your living room. No, he wants you to take the word of God and embrace it and submit yourself to the authority of the word of God. You see, false teaching is dangerous. The true gospel points us to our true need. It's Jesus Christ alone. So any church, any preacher, any book, any song, anything that promotes self over Christ alone, we got to watch out for it. False teachers are dangerous, but they're also what? Look at the text with me. They're deceiving. We've already seen how they've been deceptive in some ways, but this is what Paul says in verse 3. For we are the circumcision, we who, who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's trying to make a strong distinction from what they have been hearing and listening to, and maybe some have started to embrace. See, what made it dangerous, what they were hearing from these Judaizers and from this group, is that they were believing in something that was wrong. They were believing in something that was false. It was Jesus plus self. Jesus plus something else they had to do in order to gain salvation. Circumcision equaled righteous, being righteous, but it also meant that it led to being deceived in the church in Philippi. Christians are the true circumcision. Oh, what, is it, what does he mean by that when he says in verse 3, we are the circumcision? The, since the circumcision, remember, is the symbol that we needed a new heart, but God's people have clean hearts. That's the beauty of it all. When Jesus Christ steps into your life and you turn away from your life and you start to embrace Jesus Christ once and for all with your life, what he does is he comes in and he creates in you a new heart. He gives you a brand new heart and he fills your life with his Holy Spirit that moves into your life and begins to change you from the inside out, not clean you up from the outside in. And he transforms your heart. He transforms your mind. So look at the verse again. Because what he's doing, he's unpacking for the Christian in Philippi. What God's doing is unpacking for us what the true gospel does. It leads to the true people of God. It defines what the true people of God are. We worship by the Spirit of God. We don't come in here in, as, as a collective whole. And we don't worship him individually, whether you're at home or in your truck or car. Or sitting on a beach somewhere. Just on your own, there is the spirit that is at work in the life of the Christian. Look at what John 4 says in 23, 24. Jesus is teaching this very thing. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father. What in spirit and the truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. We have the truth of the word of God. And now we have the spirit of God. Look at verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's what's going on in this room. There is a supernatural element to everything we're doing here this morning but the Spirit of God is here and the Word of God is here and there is a supernatural work that God is trying to do in our individual lives and in us as a whole. That's the beauty and the power of the local church in our life. So we worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 3 says, who worships by the Spirit of God and what? And the glory in Christ Jesus. 
We have this glory that is there. We boast not in ourselves. We don't take pride in ourselves, but we take pride in every way in the work and the power of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 points this out. I talk to people who have followed faith systems where they are told they have to do X, Y, and Z in order to somehow gain God's acceptance. And then we come to these two verses that are so powerful, so profound, so simple. He says, for by grace you have been saved. What? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Left to yourself, if Jesus' work on the cross accounted for 95, 98% of you being able to go to heaven and 1% or 5% was left to you, guess what you would boast in? Yourself. That's the bottom line. Well, I've tried to be the best person I can be, or I've tried to do this, or at least I'm not like that person. We begin to compare ourselves in those ways. No, we glory in Christ Jesus. This is what the people of God do. And this is what the people of God are. We are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God, worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus, and therefore we put no confidence in the flesh, right? We put no confidence in anything that I have done. We need to be righteous. The problem is it's impossible for you and I to be righteous. Just as it's impossible to go to this prison here in Livingston and to walk in and to walk up to an inmate and one of the inmates look at you and say, I'm now righteous and I'm free to go. He can't do that. He can't do that. Neither can you. You want to be righteous. You want to be set free. The problem is no one is, none of us can be set free apart from the work of Jesus Christ that sets man free. I love it because the righteousness doesn't come from me. It comes from God alone. And that's why we have this confidence in Christ alone. I love the old hymn or the hymn. It's a newer hymn now, but it's kind of starting to get older in our, in our uh, kind of singing on Sunday mornings. But it's in Christ alone. Listen to what it says. And I love thinking about this hymn when I'm standing at the bed of someone who is passing away, someone who is suffering. I actually thought about this yesterday afternoon. I saw someone in our church who's on hospice and is dying. And there with his family, thinking about this hymn and this truth. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, full of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the cross his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, brought with, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Listen to this. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand. 
Listen, that's the power of the gospel. It's not matter. It doesn't, it doesn't come down to what I can do. No, I don't glory in myself. I glory in Christ Jesus, verse 3. I put no confidence in myself. I put full confidence in God's work on the cross and from the grave. I am the circumcision. You are the circumcision. We have clean hearts, new hearts. We worship him in, in the spirit of truth. You see, there are two things. When you focus on self over Christ or self and Christ, two things happen. It eliminates the need for grace. You don't need the grace of God anymore. You got this. You don't need God to step into your life or in my life. I got this. I'll figure it out. Oh, I'm a good problem solver. Oh, I got problems in my life. I've got problems in my marriage. I got problems with my personal life. I got this one habit that I can't break, this addiction that I can't break. But you know what? I'll get this. I'll, I'll dig in. It doesn't, I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anyone outside of me to help me. I've got this. I begin to account for part somehow of my salvation. And I begin to minimize the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's something else that happens. It presents a false view of reality. Remember years ago watching this TV preacher, he was preaching out of some banquet hall in a hotel somewhere, and some, it was so sad to watch it on TV because he was trying to sell miracle spring water. And if you sent him money, if you sent him 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks or 50 bucks, he would send you a little plastic vial of miracle healing water but if you just took that and you just peeled that little plastic thing off and you put it on your ailment or what have you, somehow, some way, you'd be healed. God gets the glory. No, that man gains the glory because that man makes himself rich off of the suffering and the pain of others. You see, it presents a false view of reality to the subtle point of having self-help. Romans 3 says, no one is righteous, no, not one. My best efforts, 99%, fall short 100% in the eyes of God. No false teacher is dangerous. False teaching is dangerous. It's deceptive. So how do I identify false teachers? Well, I identify based on what the Bible says by the fruit of what I see. Matthew 12, verse 33, Jesus says this, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So how do you identify false teachers in your life? Well, how do you protect yourself from it? Well, you ought to ask yourself some questions. Here are some questions I think are important to ask. Well, what does that person teach about Jesus? What is that person teaching about Jesus? I remember, the, of course, the passage in the New Testament where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? And he sits back and waits and listens for Peter to answer. Now, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What is that person teaching about Jesus? Here's another question. How or do they, rather, teach the good news of Jesus? Do they teach that salvation comes by faith alone through God's grace alone? Do they teach that the work of Jesus, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is all we need? For salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes to the church in, in Corinth, and he speaks of that very thing. He says, this is what I delivered to you. You've been saved by it. You've been changed by it. Therefore, it's only by the work of Jesus Christ. Here's another question, really quick. What kind of character do they display? What kind of character do they display? Does it sometimes matter what they're saying? 
What matters is their intent. The book of Jude, verse 11, says this. Woe to them, he's talking about false teachers. Jude says, for they walked in the way of Cain, and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. What in the world does that mean? Well, what Jude is saying is that they were focused so much on pride, the pride of Cain, the greed, if you will, of Balaam. They're saddled with greed. They're rebellious. They're rebellious in their hearts, just like Korah's rebellion. Jude is saying, listen, look out for those who their character is on display, not just what they say, not just what they're teaching you, but how they are delivering what they're saying to you. At the end of the day, you know how you understand what's wrong? Is you know what's right. You gotta spend time in the word of God. You gotta spend time praying. You gotta get involved in a really good Bible study class. You've gotta come week after week and listen to what God has to say to you and then contemplate it and then apply it to your life because you'll forget five minutes after you leave this room. You gotta apply it to your life. You gotta apply what you're hearing in a Bible study class to your life. You gotta check everything you're hearing and everything you're feeling and every thought that comes into your mind with the word of God. You have gotta filter everything you see in the culture, filter everything that you're hearing, reading, seeing that's coming into your life through the lens of the word of God. But in order for you to do that, you've gotta be in the word of God. You've gotta actually be looking through the lens of the scriptures and God will help you. God will guide you. False teaching is harmful to your life, so watch out for those who promote self over Christ alone. You will always let yourself down. I will always let myself down, which is why we need the power of Christ in our life. So follow the warning signs. Read them. See them. Think through them. Know the real gospel. Reject the false gospel. Know the true gospel. The question I would have for you is, do you know Christ? Do you know that true gospel? Do you know that faithful gospel? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning because there are many in this room that are followers of Jesus Christ. And maybe the invitation to you this morning is to come to the Lord and to say, Lord, I confess and I repent of something in my life that you've revealed Maybe that's what God wants you to respond to today as a Christian. To evaluate, and you should just go home and evaluate everything you're hearing, reading, seeing. Is it leading you to the, to the real Christ, to think well about life? Maybe God is leading you to embrace that true gospel. Maybe you've embraced the false gospel. Maybe you've been told all your life, if you just be good enough, that God will look the other way. That's just not how it works. It isn't. But God loves you still, just as he loved me still, and he loves so many in this room still. He stepped into our life, and he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so it requires me to believe. It requires me to turn from myself and my sins, to deny myself, to pick up my cross and follow him. And if I do that, the Bible says, and he promises that he steps into my life and he forgives me once and for all. He saves me, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of me. When I put myself under his authority and under the authority of his word, 
and begins to transform me and change me into the man, the woman, the teenager, the child that he wants me to become. Maybe that's where you are. Don't think about it anymore. Just embrace it. Because that's God's will for your life. I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and sing. If you want to come forward for prayer, just confess sins, confess anything before God, you can do that. You can come and if you want to say, I want to join this church, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, I want to be baptized, I don't know what the decisions are, but, but whatever God is saying to you, be obedient and follow him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, would you protect our minds and protect our hearts. Where we have drifted from you, we turn ourselves back to you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us? And you have the courage to come if God leads you this morning. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He's my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone is solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. seated this morning. 
Hey, listen, I've got just a couple very quick announcements, and we're going to be dismissed and head off to our Bible study classes. First of all, I mentioned this last Sunday. Let me mention it very quickly today, and that's the Impact Conference on the road. We've got a great event coming up here very soon, right next Saturday, this coming Saturday, 845 at to 1 over in the Family Center. If you teach adults in any capacity in our church, I uh, want to encourage you to be a part of that. There are special speakers coming from the outside in, some good guys that are coming to speak. And uh, this is all sponsored by the uh, our, our local association. You see that there, the Unity Baptist Association. And uh, there's a lunch that's going to be there, and it's, it's going to be a great event. So anyway, you can sign up in your Bible study classes, I believe. If you have any questions about it, come see me. Um, but that'll be this coming Saturday, okay? So I wanted to mention that this morning. Um, also, I wanted to mention that, uh, again, last Sunday I mentioned it, today I'll mention it, and then we're done with the announcement. But July the 8th through the 12th, okay, is Vacation Bible School. That's in a few months, but it's right around the corner, I couldn't promise you that, because the spring will go by fast. I, the reason we want to get these dates out to you is I know you're making plans for vacation, travel, things of that nature. We really want to encourage you to be at VBS and be a part of that. We had an army of volunteers last summer. It was awesome. We reached so many people in our community, and uh, this is one of our biggest outreach events of the year, so I really want to encourage you to be a part of that. Now, speaking of Kids Central, I want to invite Vicki to come on up. Francie, come on up. The reason I'm asking them to come on up today is because, as you know, Vicki is our nursery director, and she uh, is the director of the... Um, of our preschool area, and Francie has been helping out, volunteering so much in the last year, as you know, uh, when uh, our children's director position came open. But here's what I want to announce today. Miss Vicki is going to, yeah, Miss, uh, Miss sorry, not Miss Vicki. Miss Francie, I'm looking at you. Miss Francie is going to be uh, moving into and stepping into our part-time children's director for this season. And so y'all welcome her. She's excited. And so those of you who are parents, grandparents of children, when you bring children here, this is the team. And so we work together and we're meeting and talking about how we're, we've got a lot of exciting things planned for Kids Central, and we're excited to be moving and working on those over the course of the spring as we're moving into the new year. So she, Ms. Francie might be coming to you talking about VBS really quickly and soon. She's already been recruiting out there. So anyway, but y'all uh, welcome them again and uh, thank them for, uh, for their, all their service. You guys can be seated. Thank y'all so much. They hate coming up here in front of everybody. Hey, listen, before we leave today, I want to invite the Alunga family up here. They're going to come and just share with us a few words about what God's been doing uh, in, uh, in Africa. So y'all come on up. And they're going to share with us. Come on up on stage so that everybody can see you guys. Y'all welcome as they come. All right, Brother Allen, good to have you guys here. Here's, and we welcome the entire family, minus one, right? One. Minus one, who's not here with us today. But Allen's going to share with us about what God's been doing there in, uh, in Africa. And as you know, as a church, we support them as a family in their ministry. And uh, they've been here for a few weeks. They've been here for a few couple months now, right? Yeah, up in New England and down here, and they're staying down in Houston. Another church has put them up in a missions home there, um, but they'll be traveling back at some point soon, but it's all yours.
not here. He's serving at Pinewood Camp. Um, he was excited from day one when we got here. We got a chance to join Mr. Eric to go to Piney Woods. Um, so that guy, the tall guy, is the second born Alex. He's turned 16 in a couple of days, or so, in a few days. Um, we're doing great. We're serving our great God in partnership with Central. Time will not um, allow me to tell everything God is doing year in and year in out. Let me share with you two aspects. Central Baptist Church is impacting lives in Zambia. I know personally that many of you are connected with us and praying and sending messages, checking in. It means the world to us as family. What is happening in South Central? I mean, uh, in Africa, at Musenga, the place called Musenga. Two years ago, courtesy of Kids Central, we received what was offered through the Kids Central to impact our community. We live in a rural community of about no more than 2,000 people. But we gather every year now 300 children for Bible, vacation Bible school. Right after yours, we do in August. We started with vacation Bible school. Out of that, we have a school, Musenga Christian School. We had 120 children this past year. They sing every day, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Courtesy of Kids Central. It's mostly keep up the good work. And I rejoice with you. It's not a promotion. It's uh, bringing you down to the knees as you pray for Abigail and her friends. Many children who call Jesus Lord because of what happens here. I encourage, I'm going to repeat the invitation that many of you volunteer. Come help here because the impact is not just this community, but far away from here. Second aspect is I stood on that pulpit. I gave a testimony of how Christ came into my life. I shared the gospel. One member of this church was listening, had me home. And courtesy of that, we have audio Bibles. I do a thousand and thousand homes every year. We have Jesus film equipment. We reach communities sharing Jesus. And every single trip out, people come to Christ because of one member of this local church. So we're busy. Training pastors is my main job for the Congo and rural Zambia. We're busy. We have a campus we paid for as of last May. Churches are sending youth in waves for youth camps. We have a school, as I've mentioned, so year in, year out, we're laboring hard for the Lord. It's been 14 years today. It takes us four years to come together as a family this way, rest a while, reconnect with friends, and tell you what the Lord is doing far away from here. So I encourage you to keep us in your hearts. Pray. 
for the Ilungas and for the ministries around us. Give so we can continue doing what we're doing for the Lord. Don't let just the children do that. Please give selflessly to God. You cannot outgive. And all by all means, come to Zambia. It's one of the easiest countries to travel to. I would love to see some of you come alongside. Come and see. You may see something we're not even seeing. So, there's a few words I want to thank you, Pastor Sonny, and uh, the whole team. Thank you for keeping a place in your hearts for the Ilunga family. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Allen. Let's have a quick word of prayer for them um, while they're here on the stage. And let's just pray for their ministry. You know, we support them through our budget giving. And, and uh, you know, as a church, we pray, we give, we go, we send. That's what we, our philosophy is. And we want to build towards that end. And we want to pray for the Alungas. Thank you so many for so many who have supported them, continue to support them. We support you co collectively as a church. And we could not only support you through giving, but also praying. And we're going to continue to do that. Let's pray for them now. And then as we leave today to... Uh, uh, to give our tithes and our offerings. Um, you can do that as well. Um, so let's pray over that offering and also for the Alungas. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had to worship you this morning. Thank you this morning that uh, the kingdom of God is not done in a silo, um, but it is done in the context of partnership. Uh, we read uh, in Philippians chapter one, Paul praised the church in Philippi that they were uh, true partners in the gospel. They were part of his ministry, and he was in prison as he wrote that letter, and yet he wrote to them with joy in his heart, in his prayer life. He saw them and thought of them from a distance, and it brought him joy because they were such a giving church, they were such a sacrificial church, and they were willing, Lord, to support him as he continued to do his work. We thank you for the Alunga family. We pray for them. We pray that you would provide all of their needs. We also thank you. We give you glory for all the work that you've been doing in their lives over the last 14 years. But Lord, in the last four years since they were here with us, Lord, as a family, we thank you for the, um, the children that have been impacted, these families in this community. We pray that you would continue to multiply their efforts uh, to reach people for Jesus there in that part of our world. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would bless this, these tithes and these offerings as we give to you as we leave this morning. God, go with us and point us to people who need Jesus this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. This is my testimony.